Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Brendan here, Vet Gurus here, Mark here, vetgurus.com. Go there, stay there. Well, stay a while, then come back here and listen to us. Episode 132, Friday, April the 17th. And Mark, I've had some good feedback about our extra episode we snuck in a few days ago on the Easter weekend, and our listeners were very grateful um, to have a little bit more of something in their heads to listen to, Mark. So I think it's something we should throw in occasionally, an extra one, and it was, um, it was a bit of a... We give back to our listeners, wasn't it? We do try to um, make sure that we, you know, we, we appreciate them uh, switching us on, listening to us, going to the webpage, uh, supporting our sponsors. Um, we, we really value all of that. So wherever we can, it's always good to give back, Brendan. And speaking of sponsors, Mark, great, great segue there. We haven't mentioned them for a while, so... Specialised Animal Nutrition, which is Oxbow Australia and Jen and her team. Gee, I was actually thinking today while I was outside sawing and um, panelling some wood into a straight line, Mark, um, I was thinking, gee, how many tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of rabbits have been saved by critical care for herbivores throughout the world? And um, I don't think I'm underestimating it. It would be thousands, wouldn't it? I, I literally use that product every single day. And um, and if you do multiply that, uh, the number of rabbits that we've pulled through from gastrointestinal stasis by um, treatment and supportive care with uh, critical care, you know, I've got no doubt the numbers you're talking about are of the appropriate order of magnitude. I'd, it would be t- at least tens of thousands. So go there, buy some, hoxboaustralia.com, I think. If not, go to vetgurus.com and find the actual correct link. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get in trouble. You will. We will will not edit that out because we like to to be a bit raw, don't we? We, Authentic. we We like to be authentic. We just let it out there as it is. And speaking of authentic, yes, as we were speaking off air there, Mark, I did sneak down to the local... The local hardware store, the big chain hardware store, which we won't mention, mention their name here in Australia, and um, I came out with a whole trolley full of bits and pieces and screws and nuts and um, wheels um, and and some panels and some um, some boards and. Uh, the whole lot fell off the um, trolley trying to wheel it back into the car while staying at a safe distance um, to people. And then um, hopefully Annie doesn't listen to the podcast, got back to the car and I took her car, Mark, because hers is the hatchback so I could fold down the seats to put the big big panels of the plywood. Um, they just fit in there. I made sure, did a bit of measurement before I went into the store and just got the panels that would fit. Um Carrying and or lifting up one of the big panels, I accidentally dropped it and it hit the rear tail light of his car and um, smashed a bit of the plastic off. But I must admit, it was only about 
one and a half centimetres long <laughs> by ha- half a centimetre. And it smashed it into two bits. So this is what I did. <laughs> I um, wandered back into the hardware store and got some super glue. Um, and then I came back out and um, promptly got the super glue all stuck on my hands and, <laughs> and it started melting the plastic. <laughs> <laughs> And um, it didn't quite work. My little patch up job was going to be, you know, um, hoping that a few months down the track, Annie would be opening up the boot of her car after going shopping Fell for on. essential goods, <laughs> for essential goods only, and um, noticed that there was a bit of a scratch or a bit of a chip out of the um, rear reversing light there, the red part um, of the light. But alas, no. So I spent a couple of hours this afternoon looking for online supplies and um, the bad news is I have to replace the whole unit there, you know, typical with cars. I'm surprised you, you don't have to replace the whole, like, quarter of the car. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, I will tell her um, probably tomorrow. Um, she's got a, got a little bit of a headache at the moment, so I don't think I'll um, I'll mention what happened because um, I think it will just push the headache into into territories I don't want. So yeah, that was um that was the bad part of my little visit to the store, Mark. So that's what I've been up to. What have you been up to? Well, I've had uh, um uh, a busy few days with a I don't get to do much breeder work, Brendan. I know that comes as a surprise for you, but I do have a couple of clients who uh, who do st- still um, come to me with their uh, their reproductive situations. And I had a beautiful, one of my favourite clients who um, has uh, bull terriers and um, one of her dogs was having a litter and, and it was fairly intense. So that, that's sort of taken up a bit of my time. And um, in the way of litters, it, it had pluses and minuses. We lost uh, um, a pup and... Um, and uh, and we thought we'd lost another one, but it managed to survive. So we're uh, we're we're you know, it's a, it's been a good thing. A life is uh, uh, has been um, added to the world. Gee, you've done well. Yeah, I, I must admit, I don't particularly encourage many breeders because, as you know, they can be a little bit demanding sometimes. Um, but it sounds like you had a very a very good client there. So how many how many did we end up with? There was only two pups in the litter. So we lost one, saved one. 50-50. 50-50 batting average there, Mark, yes. Well, it's good to see you doing a bit of veterinary work and I know that um, from all our listeners throughout the world, it's, it's a challenge, isn't it, isn't it doing this? And um, I'm going to jump into – I've got two reviews, Mark, and, and both of these are things that can help with what's happening and, and coping with what's going on at the moment, whether I've, in isolation. I've been particularly keen that some of the hints you've given about the the uh, the reviews you have to give have been very, very, well, they've made me interested to hear. So I'm really keen to hear what you've got to say about these. Well, I'll talk about the... The slightly bland one first, um, but it's a very good one. And that's your local library, Mark. Do you ever visit or have visited your local library? Yes. I'm a, a passionate advocate for the local public library. And um, and it's amazing to watch how uh, just over the last, well, I suppose, couple of decades, they've evolved from, um, you know, having just being a repository of books to now, you know, you can you can get your uh, your 
documents printed. You can do your internet searches. Librarians have become like real, uh, I don't know, wonderful additions to uh, to just the knowledge, um, the knowledge information, the knowledge industry for uh, people who might not have access to it directly in other ways. Well, the bit I want to plug is free. Uh, and I don't know about you, Mark. It's free to become a member of our local library in the little municipality we're in, and I know it's the same with lots of or most places in the world. It's probably covered in your rates for your local council, etc. And I use an app where I download magazines, Mark, and I don't know whether you've done this. And it, it does. And I've had a bit of a look, and it does. It does exist in in many countries of the world as far as this sort of app or apps, or several apps where you get free access to magazines and journals um, and magazines in particular. I think I have about 30 at the moment that I subscribe to. So every month I get 30-odd magazines delivered to my iPad and they're absolutely free. Um, and these are magazines that would that I previously would purchase a print versions and they are exactly the print versions just electronic versions that cost anything from 10 to 25 dollars and um you know the three main areas that i get them for are, um well the obvious ones the photography ones mark um tech sort of ones as well um and also there's a whole host of the home sort of home beautiful home renovation-y type um, ones as well but there's literally about i just counted them up yesterday 30 that i subscribe to and i get them free every month it's better sp spend in you know 30 by 10 or 25 dollars and um i think people just don't realize these sort of apps and 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 products exist and it's i, I think it's fantastic so what do you think about um like i always I'm interested. Like the good thing about libraries is that they're paying for the subscription. So the magazine exactly. doesn't, you know, go bust. But so many of these uh, these arrangements disrupt the normal business structure. And, and, and I don't know, you, you probably wouldn't have I, – I know what you're like with – if you had that um, $300 to $750 in your pocket, you'd be unlikely to spend it all on – you'd be, just be a select few magazines that you would get um, – but um, but yeah, I wonder does it change the 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 nature of publishing? Are the magazines delivered? Uh, you know, is the content different as a consequence of the library? I don't know. I'm, I mean, what I do know is that print, especially with newspapers, is is decreased, hasn't it? And a lot of newspapers have gone out of print. Um, one of the magazines that you can access is, I think, the the New York Times, Mark, um, and um. Oh, what's the liter literary, literary journal you can get from America? I'm sure you subscri subscribe to it. I've, I've gone blank with it. But anyway, um, yeah, it's – well, I, don't, I, I must admit I haven't – I've thought exactly what you mentioned just then, Mark, but I haven't seen what sort of percentage or what numbers or money the library's pay um, and whether it's a per seat basis i expect that every time somebody downloads one of these magazines that um, the library a little counter ticks off and then they have to you know give the give the publisher a few cents um, for every time it's downloaded um, wouldn't that be a great thing one of the bugbears of my existence is um is 
you know, doing research on a topic, trying to become a better veterinarian, finding a number of published papers, and then being asked to pay $35 for eight hours access to the PDF. And I know that that money doesn't go to the people who did all the bloody work. It's a publishing rort, Brendan. Well, that's why you have to be a, an academic or, or a pretend academic like me, Mark, and you get free access via the university. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know exactly what you mean because I've had to do that in the past um, and still occasionally have to do it as well when I can't access a particular paper. And, yeah, it's a, it is ridiculous, isn't it, the amount that you have to pay sometimes for, for the access to one particular paper. Um, and it's a bit like pirating, Mark, um, of, of movies and, and music and all that sort of thing. If, if people make it super expensive and hard to do, um, then they will go out and pirate. But if you make things fairly reasonable cost um, to either subscribe or to access them like you can with most music, for instance, these days and, and movies, that majority of people do the right thing and they'll say it's only five or ten dollars to download or stream this particular movie so i'll just spend the money and do it rather than rather than trying to go to nefarious lengths to to try and access it for free and i think um that uh that the the director the you know creative person who whether it's a book a poem a song a an article um, if you, and that's where you know our Patreon comes in. Um, that the thirty-five dollars to the publisher probably ends up a minuscule amount of money going to the actual people who wrote it, whereas uh, the Patreon model allows you to make sure that money goes directly to the person, the creative person who did the work. Absolutely vetgurus.com and click on the help us and go to our Patreon site and just give us $5. That's all we want to help pay for the microphone we use or the upgrade to my computer, which we were just chatting about that we need to do. Ah. And um, off here, it took, I reckon it took me 15 minutes, Mark, to reboot my um, little Mac mini Mac. I do believe there is an online order in the offing. Now tell me what's your other review, Brendan? Okay, so let's get to it, because otherwise we won't get to our main, well, we won't even get to our news, let alone our main main topic. And that's a game, Mark, and um, it's a good game for the times, and it's called Plague, Inc. And um, I quite like this game, and it's um, it's a very popular game. It's on, I, I'm playing it on the iOS, so on, on, on the um, iPad, but you can also get a Windows version of it. And it's, well, you're the... You're the disease, <laughs> and the the aim of it, the aim of this is to kill everybody in the world. Um, and you select a country to start off in, and um, you start infecting people. And based on that, you get points to spend. And it's one of these strategic sort of games. So you've got to decide where you want to allocate your points. And my strategy is, Mark, I spend most of my points on transmission methods is what I do. So I spend, as soon as I get some extra points, I put it into um, zoonotic transmission or, you know, through birds or, or through through coffin or through through um, fleas. Um, and so I get the transmission rate up really high. And it worked really well because I killed off everybody on the planet um, last time I played it this afternoon. Um so you get your transmission rate up really high um, and don't make it very pathogenic um, because the other thing you can spend your points on is symptoms and, and what the disease 
causes like pustules or pneumonia or whatever. I just leave that at a low level and sometimes it mutates to those anyway um, and get the transmission going crazy. And then countries start not really noticing it till many millions of people have been infected because it's not killing many um, and it's been transmitted into all these different countries throughout the world. And then, Mark, then I crank up the symptoms. <laughs> <laughs> And that's when you start killing people. But it's a bit tricky because then you have to try and adjust things. So um, there's a third general area that you can spend your points on because when the countries start noticing that people are dying, and they have news reports, um, a ticker tape news report about what's happening in countries. So a country might decide to then close its borders to, to flights, for instance, um, so it's very pertinent. To what's How topical. At the moment. <laughs> um, so, so then you've got to decide. Okay, how am I going to change the transmission or the symptoms and and, and mutate them so that um, it, it it bypasses that? Um, so, or it becomes waterborne, for instance. Um, so, yeah, it's quite quite interesting. Um, and then then they start developing a cure, and it's a race to try and kill everybody on the planet before they cure it, basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> and once they is start this, developing is, it... Is this making you feel more relaxed? <laughs> it's, a, I, I, it's a very strange way to spend your um, downtime just at the moment. I thoroughly enjoyed it, Mark, um, um, developing my plague. And you can name your plague. I won't tell you what my plague was called o online, Mark. Um, I'll tell you off once we finish. Um, and once they start developing a cure for it, then you mutate it. Um, so it, you, you, you can give it bacterial um, antibiotic resistance, for instance, or vaccine resistance, etc. So, So that's my sort of strategy. I, I get the transmission rate up to almost 100%, so it spreads throughout the world. Then I start um, increasing the symptoms um, and, and killing people. Um, and once everybody starts noticing, you try and stop the the science scientists um, <laughs> preventing it. it sounds and like the US government. And it worked. Yes. Well, um, just well, you can guess where I started this um, <laughs> plague off. What country I started it in, Mark? Um, so yeah, I won't won't mention it. So anyway, I, so very good game. I, I really enjoyed it. And yes, it's 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 well. I'm shocked. Some, we may get some hate mail that I shouldn't be um, playing such a game, but I found it quite interesting the way it was. And it's got all these nice little graphs how it spreads, and you can you can track everything about how it's how it's going. And you and you watch a little infected um, cruise ship go from one country to another. <laughs> it's uh, so that so the so the transport um, whether it's a ship or a plane um, they st they turn red um, when they've got infected people on board, and you can watch them sort of go to different countries. It's you always, it, doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that you enjoy this because you always have had like a slightly morbid sense of humour. <laughs> <laughs> so well, along with seven hundred and seventy million people who have bought. Um, played this game, Mark. So 770 million have played it. So there you go. I give it a very solid 8.9 wow. um, out of 10 because, uh, dare I say it, it's very um, infectious, <laughs> this program. <laughs> so there you go. They're my two. Um, so, so for those of you who want to be a bit more of a path, 
pacifist, um, just go for the library and um, download some books to read um, for free. Otherwise, you can play Plague Inc. and I will put a link to that particular game. Um, and it's, I think it's a good way to teach people epidemiology. Um, you, you use whatever excuse makes you comfortable. <laughs> well, I'll leave it at that, Mark. So let's jump into a couple of news stories before we get into our short topic. And, and I think you want to talk about hearts. I do. I do want to talk about hearts. Um, I have, you know, recently been very almost obsessed with um, blue whales um, and uh, I you have provided me with um, this wonderful article which talks about um, heart rates in blue whales and I'm there's a couple of things that stand out to me about it um, the first one is that um, that they could measure the heart rate that they darted the animals with um, a device stuck onto them and then they could make measurements of um, of heart rate and then and they could actually get information about the heart rate during the dive, um, which is really cool. Um, the next thing that struck me about it was that um, they, in the article, they discuss heart rates as low as, um, uh, you know, six or eight beats per minute in the uh, deepest part of the dive. Um, and then... Um, at the surface, they were sort of, you know, 25 to 40 beats per minute. Um, and they classified those as uh, bradian tachycardic for blue whales. I, I don't know that I'm entirely convinced that those sorts of, I don't know, that those numbers represent that relatively small uh, sample space. But um, they, I actually thought they would have even, because of the Volkswagen-sized hearts they have, um, I thought they would maybe even go slower than that. And the other thing that was interesting was um, the word Windkessel. Um, this is the first article I've ever read that um, uses the word Windkessel. Um, and um, it's not restricted to whales, but it's uh, probably because of the size of the animals, it may well be a very significant um, a significant, uh, uh, what would you call it, physiological feature that the uh, elastic aorta stores the energy of a rapid heartbeat and then releases that energy slowly continuing to squeeze the, the, uh, the um, arterial blood through the main arteries. Um, so it changes the waveform. The idea of a Windkessel is that, that elastic that um, elastic uh, aorta or whatever structure um, uh, stores energy and releases it more slowly than the um, heart delivers itself. And um, yeah, I could see that. I could see that being a real thing. There's a whole lot of other things in here um, in this article where they talk about energy expenditure related to lunge feeding, the high drag associated with it, and um, um, and the oxygen debt that it incurs and um, and like many of these energy calculations for activities and animals I don't know there's a lot of there's a lot of assumptions made here that I don't know that I can entirely um, well they could mean anything it's useful it's useful to contemplate but crackies it's largely hypothetical isn't it Brendan yes. I was trying to find, and I think I've just found it, the predicted rest in heart rate. 
was 11 beats per minute mark um, that they were predicting and they've got in that paper. But yes, it's a it's a fascinating paper there. And it was actually something that was sent to but to us by our researcher, Mark, our, our prime researcher. So it, what, I, I can't claim... <laughs> our prime researcher would be well aware of my current obsession and so probably is feeding yes. into that, no doubt. That's, no doubt. that's why I sent it to us. And there's, there's a couple of quite nice little graphs there, isn't there? There's a, if you have a look at the heart rate and behaviour state, um, and it's got a couple of pictures of what whales they're diving and um, and coming up to to blow. Um, yes, it's um, it is interesting. But I s- that I s- go yep. on. You go first. No, you go first. I, <laughs> <seems> to- <laughs> Where you go? <laughs> no, whatever's going to be said, you'll say it much more wittily and succinctly than I. So you go first. Well, it's an interesting article or paper, but my summary would be I think we need some more research on this subject in order to confirm what they are stating. I think you've said that to just about every paper we've ever looked at. (laughs) (laughs) Including ones that I've written, that's for sure, Mark. And what's your your topic, your um, news article, Brendan? Well, I'm here to talk about here's why Easter is bad for bunnies, considering Easter has just passed for many, many um, countries or religions in the world. And just a little article talking about, in it's from the USA, it's reported in National Geographic. And as usual, Mark, as we always report, the um, beautiful, beautiful looking article, and they've there's even a little report on how they did the photos for this one, Mark. There's a little video of, t- of um, the photos that go with this article that you'd, you'd enjoy. Um, and it's just about the widespread misunderstanding of, of rabbits in, in America um, as pets. And as you would expect before Easter weekend, that there's a big rush on, on rabbits. So breeders, well, breeders do what breeders sometimes do in that they flood the market um, and the pet shops um, with all these cute little baby bunnies and um, they get sold. And the concern is the rabbit rescue societies, including the House Rabbit Society, which is one of the big um, um, non-profit organisations for for looking after rabbits in America, and there are... Um, associates of that worldwide, including here in Australia. Um, they end up with a lot of these animals once they grow up um, and the novelty of having an Easter bunny mark has gone. Um, and, and I think there was a little bit of some stats about how many rabbits there are in the States and that they're the third most popular pet, I think it's mentioned in this particular article. Um they're seen as starter pets, supposedly. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's nothing that we wouldn't expect, but it's still sad that it's happening. I think at least here in Australia, Mark, um, especially with the, the dogs and the cats, they've they've managed to stop that whole process by, by not allowing a lot of these commonly sold pets in the, that were sold for, in pet shops in the past. Um, they've stopped that, haven't they? And I, and I think that's slowly slowly happening in, in a lot of the world um, with them, yeah. And the, the other interesting thing I found in this article was that um, the, the, the author of this article quizzed, quizzed some of the people um, 
her friends or his friends um, about what do you think the average lifespan of a pet rabbit would be? And a lot of them mentioned one to two years. Um, that's how long rabbits will live um, and not realising that they'll live 10 plus years if looked after um, carefully. And it does talk a little bit about um, um, veterinary care um, and that um, some of the um, owners are completely shocked that um, – if they have to spend several hundred dollars or more to fix a rabbit that may have only cost them not much or only 20 or $30. So, you know, it's all the cliches that we used to, Mark, I think, um, in this article. The interesting thing, I think, and look, um, I know that you and I are probably insulated from the worst of this sort of stuff because, you know, it's a self-selecting process that the people that really care about them and are trying to do the right thing end up seeking um, seeking advice from people like you, um, but um, but my impression is that um, the general public are increasingly conscious of the the uh, responsibility that goes with whichever animal they take on. I, I don't. I just. I don't know. Maybe this may be a false sense of optimism, but I just get the impression that gradually um, the general public are going. Yeah, you know what. That's a lot of responsibility and they start, um, whether it's the internet making understanding that stuff a little bit easier so people do double check before they buy the rabbit and find out the things that you were mentioning, how long they're going to live, all that sort of stuff. I just, I hope that the trend that I imagine continues, Brendan. Yes, and... It just reminded me of something that we often mention to, to new graduates or veterinary students, don't guess um, what clients will spend or how much they, they enjoy or, or even love their pets. Um, so just because it's an animal that costs zero dollars or $10,000 doesn't mean that they will spend $0 or $10,000 on, on treating that animal. So it's always forget about what the monetary worth of the pet in front of you is and don't prejudge your clients and just offer the the ideal for what that animal needs treatment for. So true, Brendan. And it's, um, it's I mean, on a daily basis we see uh, how much people, whether it's their rabbit, their bird, their dog or their cat, they're, um, you know, they're, they're members of the family. And I think... A good friend of ours, Deb, has a quote that I like. I probably misquote it um, when she talks about this exact topic. She says, most people get their children for free and, and yet they'll spend thousands of dollars on them. Um, and that's certainly true. And I've certainly spent many hundreds of thousands of dollars um, rearing my children. Um, not particularly well, but um, they're still plugging away and um, they haven't disowned us yet, so... Um, maybe we're doing something a little bit right. Mark, you're going to jump. I think we should um, uh, start a segment, um, quotes from Deb. I think we should. I think we should. Well, let's jump into our short little topic here, Mark, because we've already spent 30 minutes talking about nothing at all <laughs> as usual. Well, it is and a this isn't. Go on. I was going to say it's a short topic, but a good one, I think, because um, uh, I've, I, I know that I've been seeking your opinion on this very topic recently, and and it's something we've had a little bit of experience with over the years, and so I was keen to um, to uh, 
let everyone else get the benefit of your wisdom when it comes to it, Brendan. So the story goes that um, we had uh, one of the many rabbits that we have um, that we get to see who has dental disease, um, and during this rabbit, this particular rabbit had horrible malocclusion, uh, very very badly arranged teeth, and uh, periacal abscessation, um, and so we elected to remove the loose teeth and in the process of extraction the poor rabbit's mandible fractured um, and so um, uh, I, I know this I've had the experience of this happening a number of times I sort of form in my own mind the the you know, if we're at that point where simple extraction of a loose tooth leads to um, uh, overt fracture, then that jaw is effectively like fractured beforehand. It's something is going to happen that pushes it over the edge. Um, but um, but I'd be interested in what you think about it, Brendan, and and what course of action you think we should take. Well, funny you should ask me, Mark, because when you were swanning around in the Antarctic, I happened to receive a phone call from your practice about that exact topic, didn't I? Um, and after I'd um, sat down, had a little think about it, um, I, I, I hopefully put the vet at ease by saying, look, we've all done it. Um, we- <laughs> Mark's done <laughs> so it multiple times. <laughs> so let's step back a little bit. Um, mandibular fractures in rabbits is what we're talking about. And the, and that's where it's always trying to work up these cases and trying to, to decide which ones do we attack surgically early on and which ones do we try and stabilise that mandible if, if it's all eaten away with the osteomyelitis and the dental disease and we may try and stabilize it by putting them on um, antibiotics for instance and, and and some pain relief and wait for that to sort of settle down a little bit before we go in there and attack it um, we also take radiographs as a bare minimum to try and assess how severe the changes are in that mandible ideally if you've got access to it um, and the clients are willing to go for it doing a ct scan get some nice pics of the whole head there and you may may detect that it's got problems that um, you couldn't see on on plain radiograph. So we try and minimise the chance of missing any obvious mandibles or jaws that look like they are going to fracture if we dive in there surgically. But having said that, including this case that we're specifically talking about, and I've certainly done it as well, Things happen, don't they? Things go wrong in surgery and you get in there and no matter how easy and, 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 and gentle you are treating that rabbit with its mandibular mess, um, you hear a bit of a snap or or you suddenly think, gee, this mandible is a little bit more mobile than it was a couple of seconds ago and you realise that that mandible has fractured. So where where do you find that they tend to, tend to fracture these um mandibles in these rabbits mark my experience well there's two quick things i wanted to say um the most common spot i find is um just at that you know that i don't can't remember the anatomical name but it's the narrow bit so the mandible comes down it's got a big round attachment for the masseter muscle um and then just in front of that the the ramus of the mandible narrows down and it's just in that vicinity that most of the time um you know i think it'll be right under the third 
cheek tooth in the mandible. That's sort of the location where most of them go. I was going to quickly add to you mentioned CT scan, and we have had a couple of them CT scanned. I don't know that I'm, I, I very rarely disagree with anything that you say, but this is one situation where I don't know that every time I've seen any CT scan of them, um, they look awful. They look like they're there's no way in the world that you will ever get them out without fracturing them. Um, and in particular, one of the ones I did that we didn't, you know, we didn't get a look at the CT till after the rabbit was in trouble. We pulled the teeth out. Um, you know, the the jaw was solid as despite the images. So I always think I'm always careful about, you know, you've got to get all those images and, and uh, get them to help you. I find the radiographs more useful than the CT scans, to be honest. Yes. Well, I must admit it's rare that I send them off for CT, um, what, mainly because of the the, the, the physical hassle of, of doing it, um, sending it to the clinic that's probably about an hour away and then it's another day or two before we um, get to tackle it. But I still offer it to them, yeah. Oh, it's still, you're right. It's best practice, but um, just the cases that we've had, they were. I wouldn't have done the surgery just looking at the CTs, and yes. um, and they actually turned out okay. And then other ones, like the one you're talking about, you um, you sort of think, um, oh, there's, there's no drama with this. This is just a stock standard one, and that's the difficult thing that it's not always the one you can predict. Yes. So the good news is, isn't it, Mark, that with this particular species with rabbits who have these fractures, it's not necessarily a death sentence for them. So, and I think that's part, well, let's walk through it, I suppose. It does depend on the actual individual and the constitution is what I probably call it of that individual. And it's a bit like amputating limbs in rabbits you may technically do a fantastic job and that particular rabbit never looks back and you do the same job on the next rabbit that comes in and the rabbit just does not cope at all with three legs and it ends up being euthanized so sometimes it just depends on the the actual behavior and and how that individual copes regardless of all the other things we'll put in process um, to try and help that animal heal um, but the good news is with the, that muscle mass around the mandible a fair percentage of these and I certainly always you need to pick the client as well I suppose um, as well as the individual um, patient there um, because some clients will panic and will not cope and want the animal euthanized but once you've told them that it has a has a fractured mandible um, we do nothing um, apart from providing it with supportive care which we'll talk about what we need to do, the two important steps with that in a sec. Um, And remarkably, it's amazing how many of these um, do come good and they end up forming a callus and they do manage to survive and, dare I say it, even thrive, Mark. Have you found that? Well, interestingly enough, I'm not going to disagree with you on this point. Um, And the first time that I sort of thought about maybe going down this path was a time when um, when we had referred to us a rabbit that, um, you know, had reportedly had a long-term fracture. And I went, oh, yeah, sure, sure. And we took the radiographs. Um, it did have a fracture. It was fine. Um, and it had, and the referring vet sent the radiographs over and, and it had had a fracture for some time, but just behaved pretty normally. And as you said, we, we 
provided the appropriate supportive care and um, and gave it some time. You do you, your analogy is spot on. The the constitution of these rabbits, you have to pick the right one. Um, you have to have the right clients. It's a lot like the whole amputation thing. Um, some are just more stoic and cope with these things and bounce back. Others are more fragile and with less of a problem aren't going to get there. Um, but yeah. Um, I, they, a significant number of them are going to um, heal to the point where the rabbit has good quality of life. So I think the takeaway message is don't give up on these as soon as you've broken that jaw of that rabbit um, inadvertently um, because they can get there um, depending on all these factors that we've spoken about. So treatment, Mark, or, or preventative health or, 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 sorry, supportive care for these, what are the key things you consider? Well, it's um, you mentioned uh, the, the um, you know, two-pronged attack. It's pain relief um, and uh, supportive nutrition. They're not going to be able to chew as well as possible. So our wonderful Oxbow critical care becomes a very, very important part of their recovery um, and um, appropriate pain relief. Um, and that may, you know, generally we're talking about a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug and probably in the acute phase superimposed with one of the the uh, opiates um, uh, and that sort of basic framework is um, and close monitoring gets us through with a lot of these. Absolutely. And that may include sending the rabbit home with a fentanyl patch and then getting that rabbit back um, in a few days to reassess how it's going and then reapplying that patch. We tend to leave the patches on anything from from sort of two to five days or so. And, and the good news is with the fentanyl patch, they're, they're quite easy to, to apply and, and seem to work very well in rabbits. Do you tend to use them, Mark? We use fentanyl patches quite a lot. Are, are, uh, across an array of species and um, the pleasing thing um, with rabbits compared maybe to the dog cases that we use them in I find them less consistent in dogs and that sort of makes sense the skin of dogs has a, a wide variety of thicknesses and characteristics whereas um, the thin rabbit skin seems to be um, more consistently amenable to the transcutaneous passage of the drug at a consistent rate. So, yep, I agree with you entirely. Excellent choice to treat these cases. So if everything is going to plan with the recovery of that animal, how long do you think it takes, Mark? It's variable, isn't it, how long it seems to settle in that mandible Um solidifies or forms a, a rough callus there um, I, over time and that can take weeks weeks yes exactly you're, you're once again weeks maybe months in some instances and i have had one that um that uh as far as i could tell never healed properly but the rabbit lived on nonetheless um and the owners were, were happy to um continue to allow it to lap the critical care um and um and cover it with pain relief, and and uh, it was uh, it passed away like a year later of a completely different cause. And I suppose going back at one or two or three steps there, Mark, um, we may have listeners thinking, "Gee, why don't you repair that mandible? Why don't you put it all back together surgically?" What's your thoughts on that? Well, you know how much I love surgery, so I would leap in and do it. Except the problem is that very often the the 
places that you might put a small plate or that you would, you know, consider some form of uh, mandibular external fixator, um, they, they just, they, the, the bone, you don't have bone to work with, that the um, the parts of the bone that you might have to put a screw into are very likely to be very much like the stuff that fractured and, and you just end up with an ongoing complication of another fracture and another, you know, the implant failure. And so um, so it certainly has been not my first choice, even though I'm a lover of getting in and, and a chance to cut is a chance to cure. Um, I, with these cases, I tend to be, I really want to be convinced that uh, some surgery is, is the right course of action. It doesn't work. <laughs> You always say what I'm saying in far fewer words. <laughs> yes. Perhaps somebody will come up with a with, with a surgical technique that does work for these, but no, um, I, I think they have. And, and I must admit I have seen the odd one which has gone to a an orthopaedic surgeon um, for treatment and they have attempted repair of the mandibles of them um, with, with no, no success with them. Yeah. So, yes. So, but the good news is don't give up on these um, if you are presented with one and don't, um, all I would say if you do end up doing a dental um, on a rabbit and you do end up inadvertently um, breaking that mandible, um, join the club. Um, most of the, us who end up doing or treating lots of rabbits will end, will, will end up unfortunately breaking the mandible um, of a rabbit or several rabbits um, over your lifetime of your work. It's um, Yes, it's not something we're proud of, but it does happen, doesn't it, Mo? Definitely. It's, it's certainly something we're not proud of. Um, but um, anyone who's doing this sort of work and uh, denies that ever happens to them, well, I don't quite believe them. On that note, we will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.